The following message is by Pastor Jason Polly. More information from Harmony Bible Church is available at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God, may we look at your word and be transformed by it. God, I just pray and ask that you'd be with not only us, but all the churches that are meeting up and down the coast and around the world this morning. God, that your name would be proclaimed, that your gospel would be proclaimed, and that lives would be changed. God, I praise you for your promise that you will build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We claim that promise this morning. We pray all these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So today we're going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago with our sermon series titled Rooted in Truth, based on the book of 2 Peter. I was thinking as uh, Bill was talking about Julia not being able to fill a half hour, I thought, boy, it would be good if I could give her some of my minutes because I have plenty of material here to cover this morning as always. So we're going to look back at 2 Peter, and as always, we're going to do a little bit of review of the information we've covered thus far. In the first chapter, Peter focuses on the provision, the power, and the promises of the gospel. He reminds us of our need to have genuine faith in the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 2, we notice a dramatic change in Peter's tone. While chapter 1 serves as a friendly encouragement to persevere in truth, chapter 2 serves as a stern warning against those who do not persevere in truth. Remember, in the first three verses of chapter 2, Peter warned us of the dangers of false teachers. He said, false teachers hide in plain sight. False teachers deny Christ's authority. And false teachers exploit the church. False teachers, they hide in plain sight, they deny Christ's authority, and they exploit the church. And then two weeks ago, the last time we were in 2 Peter, we looked at verses 4-10. through And as we did so, Peter reminded us that God is keeping the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment while promising to rescue the godly. He gave us the examples of the fallen angels, the example of the people of Noah's day, and the example of Sodom and Gomorrah. He pointed us to God's previous judgment and then God's coming judgment. So with this background in mind, let's turn to our text this morning, 2 Peter 2, verses 10-16. through If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Peter says, Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. Whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like unreasoning animals, born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge, will and the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed, suffering wrong as the wages of doing wrong. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression. 
for a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So I titled today's message, False Teachers Serving a False God. False teachers serving a false God. Because as we work our way through this book, it becomes more and more evident to us that these false teachers that Peter is warning against are motivated by their own desire. In other words, they shape their doctrine to fit their lifestyle. Whereas as followers of Christ, we are called to shape our lives to fit our doctrine. We are called to conform our lives to the instructions that are given to us in Scripture. You see, we're called to live according to God's Word and not our own passions. Yet, we're all susceptible to the same error as these false teachers. Why? Because we all have the tendency to want to serve the false God of self. So the first point in your sermon outline is serving the God of self is rooted in pride. Serving the God of self is rooted in pride. Look at verses 10b through 11 with me. Daring, self-willed, they do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. Peter calls these false teachers daring and self-willed. The King James Version translates these terms as presumptuous and self-willed. The New Living Translation says that they are proud and arrogant. These two words overlap in meaning a bit and carry the idea that false teachers put themselves and their desire above all else. See, they're living out James 1, 14-15, which says, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then, when lust is conceived... It gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. The very destruction that Peter is talking about. See, it comes back to the same basic human problem. They want what they want, and they're willing to sin in order to get it. And they're willing to sin if they don't get it. That's our family's motto, not in a positive way, but in a negative way. We, we constantly reflect on the fact that sometimes we find ourselves where we want something so bad that we are willing to sin in order to get it. And when we don't get it, we turn around and sin because we didn't get it. And in much the same way, these false teachers, their pride causes them to be bold in seeking to gratify their desires. In fact, their pride is so great, Peter says, They do not tremble when they revile angelic majesties. The Greek word for revile here is where we get our English word to blaspheme. And it means to speak against or to slander. And the Greek word translated angelic majesties is simply doxa. And it means glory. It's where we get the term doxology. So the idea is of speaking against, blaspheming, speaking against, The glorious ones. So the question naturally arises, who are these glorious ones that Peter is talking about? And i got to tell you, there's some debate. There's a great deal of debate, actually. Again, maybe one of the reasons that 2 Peter is often not preached that frequently. 
However, I think the New American Standard does well by clarifying and saying angelic majesties. Because the context, both here and in the parallel passage in Jude, points to the fact that Peter is talking about the fallen angels. Look at Jude 8 and 9 with me. Jude 8 and 9. He says, Jude says, Yet in the same way, these men, also by dreaming, defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil, so he says, but Michael, the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Jude says, even Michael, the archangel, one who is clearly greater in might and power than these false teachers, he did not pronounce a judgment against the devil, a fallen angel, but instead said, the Lord rebuke you. And this corresponds with our text in 2 Peter 2.11, which says, whereas angels who are greater in might and power, angels such as Michael, Do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. Yet these false teachers, they are so bold, so full of arrogance and pride that they would dare speak against demonic forces, fallen angels, as as though they, and not God, are the ones who have authority over them. They would actually stand in a place where where they would put themselves in a place where they would have authority or claim to have authority over demons, over demonic forces. And what's truly remarkable is that while it is pride that causes them to pronounce this judgment against the fallen angels, it was pride that caused Lucifer and the other fallen angels to rebel against God in the first place. So in their pride, they say, we're going to denounce these fallen angels and we're going to declare judgment on them. Not God's judgment, their own judgment. When in fact, it was pride that caused the fallen angels to rebel against God. Look at Isaiah 14, verses 12-15. through 15. Isaiah 14, verses 12-15. through 15. Isaiah says, How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mount of the assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And I will make myself like the Most High God. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. In pride, Lucifer said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, five times. And as James 4.6 says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Why? Because pride declares war on God. It seeks to rob God of His power and His glory and says, I will do these things in my power 
for my glory. And as we get back to our text in 2 Peter 2, remember verse 11 says, whereas angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a reviling judgment against them before the Lord. The angels who are greater in might and power, the angels who did not fall but obeyed God, angels such as Michael, do not bring a judgment against the fallen angels before the Lord. They recognize that such a judgment lies squarely within God's authority. And I realize that some of you may be sitting here and you're thinking, now wait a minute, doesn't 1 Corinthians 6 say that believers will judge the angels? Well, it does. However, the context of 1 Corinthians 6 is that the authority one day will be given to us. And that authority will come from God and not of ourselves. You know, it's no mistake that when you look at false teachers today, there's often a strange preoccupation with the demonic realm. And it's not so much that they intentionally are seeking to bring God down, but they are to elevate, they are seeking to elevate themselves up to the level of God by claiming authority over that demonic world. Our authority does not come from us, it comes from God and God alone. Seeking to be like God, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. Just like in the Garden of Eden when Satan said, you eat this fruit, you can be like God. These false teachers seek to be like God themselves. Peter says that those who take up this judgment by their own authority, verse 12, are like unreasoning animals born as creatures of instinct to be captured and killed, reviling where they have no knowledge. And then he says, and will in the destruction of those creatures also be destroyed. Suffering wrong is the wages of of doing wrong. See, like wild animals who are creatures of instinct and not able to think rationally or display discernment, these false teachers talk about things they do not understand. And in the end, they will reap what they sow. As they sow destruction, they too will reap destruction. They have, however, turned a blind eye to the future that awaits them. In fact, when we continue in verse 13, we read, they count it as a pleasure. They count it a pleasure to revel in the daytime. Compare that with Romans 13, 14, which says, the night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day. Not carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. See, these false teachers had become so prideful, so arrogant in their thinking that they could pronounce judgment against fallen angels while reviling, living a lifestyle of indulgence, out in the open for all to see. See, they had lost their sense of shame. Having seen that false teachers serve the God of self, and that serving the God of self is rooted in pride, we now move to the second point in our sermon outline. The second point is serving the false God of self is rooted in selfishness. It's rooted in selfishness. Look at verses 13 through 16. 
Suffering wrong is the wages of doing wrong. They counted a pleasure to revel in the daytime. Then he says, They are stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with you, having eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he received a rebuke for his own transgression. For a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. Their stains and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions. Peter begins this section saying they're stains and blemishes. These words are also closely related. And the word stain carries with it the idea of an unwanted mark. And the word blemish carries the idea of a defect or an object of ridicule. And one can can clearly see the implication that Peter is making. These false teachers bring dishonor to the name of Christ. Look at Ephesians 5.25-27 with me. Ephesians 5.25-27. Paul is talking about the way husbands should love their wives. And he points to Christ and the church and says husbands should love their wives just as Christ loved the church. Paul says, just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her so that He, Jesus, might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. And yet these false teachers, Peter describes as stains and blemishes. See, they're not using the Word of God to cleanse the church, but instead are twisting it and perverting it as a means to fulfill their own selfish desires. In fact, Peter finishes verse 13 by telling his audience that these false teachers were reveling in their deceptions as they carouse with them. See, the word carouse means to feast together. So in other words, they were indulging themselves even while feasting with Christ's church. The corresponding verse in Jude 12 says that these false teachers are hidden reefs. Just as a reef is hidden and a ship can be sunk by a reef that is hidden and not seen. He says they are hidden reefs in your love feasts as they feast with you without fear. They are so prideful, so proud, and so selfish that they feast without fear. They were doing the very thing that Paul warns against in 1 Corinthians 11. Oftentimes when we think about and celebrate the Lord's Supper, we look at 1 Corinthians 11. And Paul warned against this very practice there. In verse 17-22, through Paul says, But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, Because you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. 
and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. Paul warned against these individuals who would even use the Lord's Supper, a feast to celebrate what Christ had done, would use that to fill themselves with food and drink, would use it for their own selfish desires. And Peter says, these false teachers, they're indulging themselves even while feasting with you as a church. Now, Peter points to two primary reasons why these false teachers exploit the church. He says, number one, they have eyes full of adultery. Number one, they have eyes full of adultery. Peter says, they have eyes full of adultery that never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. False teachers see the church as a means to gratify the flesh. They introduce their false doctrine to unstable souls, those who are not strong in the faith, and they seek to entice, literally lure them away. And not only do they have eyes full of adultery, but number two, they also have a heart trained in greed. Peter says, having a heart trained in greed, they are accursed children. See, Peter is not talking about a momentary lapse in judgment either. But instead, Peter is talking about a heart that is conditioned. As an athlete would condition his body. A heart that is conditioned toward greed. When an athlete trains, he focuses on that goal and trains toward that goal and has that goal in mind. And Peter says, They have a heart trained. Very same word as would be used for an athlete. Trained in greed. These false teachers are focused on and consistently seek personal gain. These two motivations are not new to this section either. In fact, I hope as... We've been going through 2 Peter as we've walked through it that you've seen these motivations of lust of the flesh or sexual sin and greed come up again and again and again. And we haven't really made a huge deal of them because they've been kind of under the surface a little bit. But Peter has alluded to them again and again and again up until this point. And now he brings them to the surface and says these are two of the primary motivations for them pursuing their selfish desires. They have eyes that are full of adultery. And they have hearts that are conditioned toward greed. Consider uh, 2 Peter 1.4, where Peter says, For by these He has granted to us precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Right from the very early uh, references, the very early verses in this letter, Peter speaks of lust. Or 2 Peter 2, verses 1-3, through 3, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who secretly introduced destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, 
bringing swift destruction upon themselves. And then he says, many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Or it's no coincidence that he used the example of the fallen angels who he said did not keep their proper abode. They abandoned their proper abode. They participated in sexual sin. Or the example of Sodom and Gomorrah and their sin. So Peter has pointed to these themes of sexual sin and greed throughout his letter. And now he does so once again by referring to the Old Testament example of Balaam. Look at 2 Peter 2, verses 15-16. through 16. Of these false, pe- uh, false teachers, Peter says, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. Having followed the way of Balaam, son of Baor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but he received a rebuke for his own transgression. For a mute donkey, speaking with the voice of a man, restrained the madness of the prophet. We don't know a ton about Balaam, but there is some uh, evidence from Scripture and some information from Scripture. The story of Balaam can be found in Numbers 22-24. through 24. And also 2 Peter 2, we know that he says that Balaam loved the wages of unrighteousness. We don't have time to read Numbers 22 through 24 today, uh, but I would encourage you to do so this week. And from those chapters, we learn that Balaam is offered money by Balak, the the king of the Moabites. And he's offered money to come and curse the people of Israel. They're scared of the people of Israel, the Moabites are. And he says, come, come and curse these people, for they are great in number. And while Balaam doesn't accept the offer at first, when they come back and he's offered more money, his greed seems to get the better of him. And he sets out on a journey to meet the king of Moab. And God then sends an angel of the Lord to stand in Balaam's way. But Balaam is so blinded by his greed that while his donkey sees the angel, Balaam does not. And he strikes the donkey three times so that he can continue on his way. Balaam is continuing along and the donkey stops and Balaam strikes the donkey and the donkey continues. And and then he stops again because the angel of the Lord is standing in the way and Balaam strikes the donkey again. And then the donkey, he continues and then he stops and a third time, Balaam strikes the donkey and the donkey turns around and says, why are you hitting me? What have I done to you? One of the most interesting stories in all of the Old Testament Thus, God uses the voice of a donkey to rebuke Balaam. But what is so interesting is that Balaam is so bent on going to the king of of the Moabites that he doesn't even notice that the angel of the Lord is standing in front of him. The angel of the Lord has blocked the way. The donkey sees the angel, but, but not Balaam. Not Balaam. He is so bent on getting to his destination that he can't see that the Lord has put this roadblock in front of him. And the donkey restrains his madness and says, Whoa! What are you doing, Balaam? The angel of the Lord says, If if it weren't for the donkey, you would be dead because I would have struck you down. 
But then, the angel of the Lord does tell Balaam, he says, go, go to the king of the Moabites, but only tell them what I tell you. And if we stop at the end of chapter 24, we might actually think of Balaam as a hero. Because Balaam does go, and he's given an opportunity to curse the people of Israel three times. And each of those times, he pronounces blessing on them instead of a curse. And Balak is not pleased with this prophet who he has paid to pronounce a curse on the people of Israel. So we might stop at the end of verse 24 and think, wow, Balaam's a great guy. But Peter says he loved the wages of unrighteousness. And when we read chapter 31, we discover that while Balaam wasn't able to curse the people of Israel, he did help the Moabites lead the sons of Israel away from the Lord. Numbers 31, 15-16 says, And Moses said to them, Have you spared all the women? Behold, these, these women, caused the sons of men through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord. In Revelation 2, Jesus says to the church in Pergamum, He says, But I have a few things against you. Because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. See, while Balaam couldn't get God to curse the Israelites, he apparently still helped the Moabites. And how did he help them? By developing a plan for the Moabite women to lure the sons of Israel into sleeping with them and thus bringing judgment on themselves. That he caused, he helped cause the Israelite men to abandon God's prescription for sex through marriage and therefore bring judgment upon themselves. It's interesting, the Moabites, they didn't provide bread or anything for the Israelites as they journeyed. And yet, in a short time later, Balaam convinces them to invite the Israelites over for dinner and sexual entertainment afterwards. And the Israelites fall for it. That the men indeed fall for that trick presented, as we learn, by Balaam. Thus, Peter points to the example of Balaam and says, in the same way, these false teachers in the same way have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam, who acted in greed and enticed God's people through sexual perversion. That Balaam, in greed, in selfishness, helped the Moabite women entice God's people and lead God's people astray. And if you look at false teachers of the recent past, and even those of today, you often see the very same motivations for false teachers. They have eyes full of adultery, and they have a heart trained in greed. And as a cursory reading of this, this week I honestly was not sure why these two things seem to go hand in hand again and again and again. In fact, just this past week, I read an article about a well-known televangelist from several years ago, and if I mentioned his name, you probably would all remember him well, who was involved in a scandal 
involving both fraud and sexual sin. And he was subsequently sentenced to 45 years in prison. And this televangelist was, has since been released. He did not serve the 45 years. He was since released and he has a new ministry. And I, I don't know this man's heart. I don't know whether he is genuinely repentant of his sin or not. God does. But I do know that Peter says, be warned, these false teachers, they have eyes full of adultery and they have a heart trained in greed. And this individual sells end times meals for the fair going price of $3,000 and $2,500 depending on what the meals include. A heart trained in greed. So we've seen how the God, how serving the God of self is rooted in pride and selfishness. And that selfishness is demonstrated by eyes full of adultery and a heart trained in greed. I hope you see the connection here with 1 John 2.16. At first I thought, why this idea of greed and sexual perversion? And pride. How do these things fit together? 1 John 2.16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, right? eyes full of adultery, the lust of the eyes, a heart trained in greed that wants what it wants, and the boastful pride of life, pride, John says, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And we seek those things when we seek to place ourselves on the throne of our lives. So in summary, these false teachers, they serve the false god of self because of pride, because they have eyes full of adultery, and they have hearts trained in greed. So how do we apply all of this to our lives at Harmony Bible Church? You sit there and you say, but I'm not a teacher, let alone a false teacher. Well, this letter is not just a warning to false teachers. It is indeed a warning to false teachers. But it's not just a warning to false teachers. And it's not just a warning about the false teachers either. Don't leave here and think, boy, we better be careful because of false teachers. Yes, you can think that, but don't think just that. Because it's also a warning for us to be on guard for our own lives. Peter finishes this letter in chapter 3, verses 14 and then 17 through 18 by saying, Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by Him, by Jesus in peace, spotless and blameless. Don't be like the false teachers. Be spotless and blameless. And then he goes on and says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. 
We need to recognize the sinfulness of our own hearts. We need to recognize our own pride, our own selfish desires, and then be on guard. If you've never before recognized your own sin, how you have broken God's law, I would encourage you to do so today. Scripture says that every man has sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages, the the payment for breaking God's law is death. Eternal separation from Him in hell. But there's good news. And the good news is that Jesus Christ died on the cross. And He was raised on that third day. That He came as a sinless man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and then was raised on that third day, defeating death and suffering. And He's coming back, praise God, to rescue those who are in Him. I would encourage you to place your trust in Jesus Christ today. I'm not, I'm not huge on raising hands and walking an aisle, and I know many of you have a church background, and maybe, maybe you've even been members here. I can tell you this. I don't know who in this room has truly trusted in Jesus other than myself. And I would encourage every one of you to examine yourselves, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, to make sure that you are indeed in the faith. Have you placed your trust in Jesus Christ? Have you recognized your sinfulness and His perfection and His payment on that cross for you and then committed your life to Him? And if you have, for those of us who do know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we need to recognize our tendency to want to displace King Jesus. That even though He sits on the throne of our lives, there are many times when we say, scoot over a bit, will you? Why don't you sit over here for a second? Because I've got something I want. And when we do that, we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. We need to be on guard and then grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. We need to bow down before His throne and repent and trust Him so that we are not carried away by false teachers. False teachers serving a false God, the false God of self, lest we turn and serve the false God of self as well. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace. God, I just pray that You'd be with us. God, we know that You have called us to live for You, for Your glory. We also know, God, that that is an impossible task in our flesh. We just pray for Your more grace, more grace, Lord. God, may we grow in that grace and grow in the knowledge of Your Son, Jesus Christ. We praise You for the grace that is given. Help us to never, never again displace Jesus. But God, when we do, for we know that there are times when we will seek our own selfish desires, when we do, God, give us the grace to repent and turn to You. We praise You for His work on the cross so that we might be forgiven. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Jason Polly pastor of Harmony Bible Church in South Thomaston, Maine. Feel free to share this message with others, and we invite you to connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Harmony Bible Church. God bless you, and to God be the glory.